I think we both saw a lot. I've been seeing so many movies that I need to like look back on my history. I have to stop myself and be like, do you really want to go to a movie tonight? You went like the last three nights and you feel tired. And I say, no, I don't want to go to a movie tonight. All right. Um, Tickets. What have I seen? So I think I have four things, three of which we both saw. And I think. I won't ask you about Dr. Sleep. (laughs) Oh, no, I didn't. I'm not going to until it's on blue. Probably. We've both at this point seen Irishman. We've seen Knives Out. And the report. And the report. Yes. That's right. I streamed one other thing that I don't imagine you streamed. Yeah, so three, well, two two of those, I'd say, are are a big deal. Yeah, sorry. I'm just like looking through my apps, trying desperately. Because I have streamed a bunch of terrible movies that I don't need to go into. And so I'm just wanting to make sure I'm not missing something really important. For some reason, I decided to search musicals on all of my streaming Mm -hmm. subscriptions and then pick something. And boy, there are some bad musicals. That's your uh, that's your specific sweet spot. It is. There's one called Opening Night that stars Topher Grace. And I feel like in order to write this movie, you needed never to see a musical before. Like <laughs> the idea that this backstage drama could be taking place while a musical was happening on the stage. It's like people are completely checked out from the performance they are in to a place where I got so stressed. Like, does anyone know what's wow. happening on stage right now? So after you know saying I wasn't going to talk about it, I just yeah. kind of oh. did a little bit. Glowing recommendation. It was awful. Opening night. That's a that's a not a great title. And Topher Grace is traumatized because he's a Broadway star who had his big break show close on opening night. And so now he's a production supervisor and he's just backstage and he's trying to um, get through his, his personal demons and problems and traumas. And just the way the show operates, it's like, what's everybody doing here? We begin in 30 seconds, you know, 30 <laughs> seconds. People are just casually laying about. The musicians are all like looking for weed. I'll tell you who's not smoking weed is they're the musicians in a Broadway pit, like during the performance. Uh, is the music in it diegetic? Like, is it only in the musical they're performing or do they sing? Well, so well? the show within a show is about one hit wonders. So it's like a jukebox oh musical starring a, what was Justin Timberlake in? What was his group? He was a Backstreet Boy? No, I don't think I so. Think. He, I think he was the other one. And NSYNC is the other one. I don't know. Well, anyway, someone from one of those groups, yeah. um, is the star of the show playing himself and all of the songs are one hit wonders. And so it's kind of like a Christmas Carol framework where Anne Heche of all people is supposed to play the big name Broadway star who of course um, hurts herself. I can't even remember what happened to her, but her understudy needs to go on. Who's the ingenue as the ghost of musicals past. Yeah. And she needs to take this guy from this boy band on a journey of how meaningful his life was and how really his self-identifying as a one-hit wonder is what's holding him, him back from his next hit. And it's kind of a parallel of what Topher Grace needs to go through. And he takes the stage sure. in the end and delivers the big closing number because you know that always happens in a Broadway performance where the production manager interrupts it and just takes over the last song. 
to great acclaim. And he's not really a very good singer, which they mention. And so I'm thinking, how was he a star in another show if he doesn't have any talent? That didn't seem to stop the girl in Last Christmas, though. Right. That's true. Boy. I love that we have the Irishman and Knives Out <laughs> to talk about. They got to wait. <laughs> they do. I, I, I also watched uh, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore last night. That was kind of fun. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I've never seen that one. Nor had I, and I really appreciated it. It's on Netflix right now. And mm-hmm. Scorsese doing a, kind of a woman-centered movie is is interesting because he doesn't do that a lot. Yeah. He, uh, boy, he is one of those, like, uh, you know, one of those A-listers who sure earns the status. Yeah, I like him more and more. I really liked The Irishman a lot more than I expected. I was sort of expecting mm-hmm. that one to be homework. And I I mean, the, the three and a half hour runtime flew by for me. I'm not good at understanding mm-hmm. the plot of movies like this. And so I wasn't good mm-hmm. at understanding this plot, but I just went with it. These are a bunch of legendary actors doing the kinds of stuff we love them for kind of this mafia or pseudo mafia stuff. I thought it editing was great. Story was good. I wasn't as offended by the de-aging as mm-hmm. a lot of people are. I couldn't, I'll let you do the plot synopsis. Cause I know we save that for the end. Um, cause I couldn't possibly tell you what the yeah. movie's about. Yeah. Why don't you do that? Okay. Yeah. So the Irishman is, um, Scorsese, uh, back with Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. And this time Al Pacino is in the mix as well as a lot of great character actors and Harvey Keitel is in there and, and, uh, many others. And, uh, it is a return to the epic gangster movie. And this time it's the story of Frank Sheeran, who is the titular, uh, Irishman, sorry. And he, was uh like an enforcer a um he painted houses meaning he took care of things for powerful people oftentimes painting their wall the walls of houses with the blood of the people that he was assassinating and uh it's basically the story of this this guy this thug someone who i understand in real life was not nearly as vulnerable and sympathetic as as robert de niro inevitably makes a character but he ends up working for jimmy hoffa who is the head of the Teamsters Union, the most powerful, the Truckers Union. And uh, essentially, he's the head of the most powerful union in the country, and he is also a straight-up crime boss. And so Sheeran is working for him. He's working for other interests in the gangster world. He's not an Italian, so it's just his skills as a uh, enforcer that make him uh, an asset. And everybody, he, he's a well-loved person within that weird community. And through the machinations of the plot, we see all the, the the battles between some interesting political stuff with the Kennedys. You know, the Teamsters Union feels like they are instrumental in doing a favor for the elder Kennedy and getting JFK elected. And then when the old guy uh, gets ill and dies and is out of the picture, they feel betrayed by Kennedy. It's kind of th- this movie strongly implies that it is the Teamsters Union that has uh Kennedy killed, or at least that they know who did it. They, it's, it's it's other gangsters that they know. And uh, essentially, this plot winds its way until, I mean, it's a historical thing, so I'm just going to go there. But, you know, the mysterious disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa, the disappearance part is pretty much the only aspect of that story that most of us know and remember. And basically, this is uh, based on Sharon's own account of what happened. 
that he had a, a special relationship with Hoffa. They, they loved each other very much, but that Frank ended up being the one tasked with uh, getting rid of him. And so it becomes a real, uh, the, more dramatic and more uh, tense and involving from a character perspective than I expect, than I anticipated. And I felt like this was Scorsese masterfully telling a story with, um, you know, a, a, an almost effortlessly floating camera and all the genius uh, filmmaking trickery that he does. But also I felt like this had a little bit of extra stuff, extra sauce at the end where he really spends time with some a very ancient gangsters and he shows something he hasn't really shown before. You know, people have paid the price and people's lives have fallen apart in his movies, but we really see it's kind of this kind of elegiac rumination on, you know, you, you, you devote your life to crime and, and you still, your body still falls apart. You know, the people who are lucky enough to survive, they, they, uh, Sheeran is a miserable old man. He's telling the story from a old folks home. His uh, daughter, beloved daughter won't speak to him. And I just felt like that extra mile at the end of seeing the, the, the twilight years of, of the Irishman was, was really what made this movie special. Yeah, I agree. Um, I loved Anna Paquin and her role. I know that's a controversial role, um, especially after Margot Robbie and once upon a time in Hollywood, how she didn't get to talk enough. And now Anna Paquin has like one line in, yeah. in this movie. I kind of love that to me. That was very powerful. And her performance and presence is so weighty and so important. Um, I saw Sasha Stone compare her almost to like the figure of God in his life, present but silent and at a complete loss and bewilderment for what it is that he did. And her rejecting him to the end is sort of similar to like God not hearing him anymore um, and mm. continuing to take offense at these crimes that even in the end he can find no peace about. I thought that was an interesting take. Um, her perf yeah. her performance was really really powerful. Um, the, I loved uh, Thelma Schoonmacher's editing, especially that um, it's, what is it? It's not a retirement dinner, but you know that dinner where De Niro is getting honored, mm -hmm. and just the angles that were chosen where we're figuring out that things aren't going to be going well for Al Pacino, and he's sort of overlooking from the table um, the different conversations that are happening. That was just masterful. I, I don't know if I've ever liked Al Pacino more. I'm not an aficionado mm -hmm. of his, but I felt he just was such a shot in the arm to this movie, brought such energy and humor to it. Yeah, and all three of the of the heavies here, Pesci, De Niro, and Pacino, have lived long enough and had careers long enough that they have played cartoon versions of themselves and mm -hmm. done some pretty silly, embarrassing things. And they just are... Uh, yeah, they're just doing masterful stuff here. It's a treat to watch. Yeah, the the de the digital de aging. I thought that in terms of of facial details, it worked beautifully, and I got swept up in it. I was very the only thing that once in a while there would be a shot where forty year old uh, Frank would kind of be hobbling around like an eighty year old mm -hmm. in his body. Um, that was a little noticeable. I, some a lot of people pointing out the scene where he he beats up a grocer who was rude to his daughter. Um, but that's a minor, minor nitpick. I think it's very effective. And I, I love the way that there's flashbacks inside, flashbacks inside, flashbacks. And that's supposed to be a no-no. That's supposed to be 
you know, the hallmark of a bad movie when they don't, they can't keep track of their flashbacks or whatever. And I just love that Scorsese is such a uh, virtuoso director that he can do whatever he wants with time, that he can take you three flashbacks deep and it just works and it takes you along. I, yeah, it's, it's a real pleasure and a treat to, to watch this movie. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds stupid and trite to be like, Oh, what gratitude I felt, but I actually did um, watching this thinking like, these are just three acting legends you know, legendary director and production team just came together to make this, uh, make my Monday night more interesting. And, uh, uh, yeah, I don't love, I guess I love that it was so convenient to watch on Netflix. I don't understand given Scorsese's specific, uh, proclivities as a filmmaker. I don't know why he would even make this deal. He could not um, get it. You know, it was in development for years and years. No one could finance yeah. it. It's like yeah. the new reality that someone of his right. stature can't get their movies made. Uh, but thank goodness it has been made. Um, uh, once again, my my top ten list has been complicated. I know. Late in the, late in the game. I didn't expect it to be. Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly where it is, but I didn't expect it to rank as highly in my mind as it ended up ranking. Also, just uh, an impressive consistency from Scorsese. Not every movie he's made uh, has been, you know, a, a masterpiece, but the fact that he can pull this off at his age, at this stage that he still has so many of his collaborators around, mm -hmm. that is just a real gift. And just so many directors who have his level of success and become legends, they oftentimes, very oftentimes, they just become weird. Their, their, their careers go off in weird little avenues. But, um, I don't know, just the fact that this is such a Scorsese movie, but it does not feel in any way like a retread, or back to the well, or, oh, it's so sad that he's still trying to do it. It's like he has more to say, and he says right. it um, so, so, so well. All right. Uh, is that the Irishman? That's the Irishman. I want to talk about Knives Out. Should we get some of the other littler things out of the way? Sure. Uh, so I streamed Klaus on Netflix So as well. did I. You did. So, it was okay. so good. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's, I loved it. It's a great it. time. It was it's so beautiful. It is beautiful, and it's funny. What a yeah. good movie. Strange that it exists. I don't love a, yet another weird fake origin story for Santa Claus, but this one's worth the time because it's so uh, beautifully crafted. Mm -hmm. It's a hand-drawn animated movie um, with just stunning visuals. I cannot believe the level of you know uh, consistency to the hand-drawn animation mm -hmm. throughout and fun voices and in an interesting world that it creates, fun voice actors. Uh, yeah, it's... Jason Schwartzman is a, a spoiled postman, son of the <laughs> postmaster general. Very, very weird story, eccentric story. But he basically to learn a lesson, he gets sent to this small village and he has to uh, prove himself by delivering a certain number of letters within a year or his father's going to cut him off and blah, blah, blah. He ends up finding this eccentric old man named Claus in the town who has this uh, this storage shed full of toys that he's handcrafted and you can figure out from there what happens, but um, yeah, just a, a very odd and strangely engaging and rewarding and fun movie. Yeah. I, I don't know why this appealed to me. I saw some ad for it and I actually went back to watch it the other night. Cause I thought that'll be a fun Christmas activity for me. And it really was good movies on Netflix is a strange new sensation. I love it. Good original. I know. All right. What uh, else do you have? Okay. 
I have the report and then I have knives out. That's that's what I got. That seems like what I have too. <laughs> I, I mean, I always come up with something, you know, amazing yeah. that I totally forgot right. to mention. But I th- other than opening night, is this the first show where we've seen all the major <laughs> titles? Well, I mean, uh, I each of us. Th- we're holding off on Dark Waters. Right. So, uh, just to get it out of the way, not because it's it's uh, necessarily disposable, it's just not as uh, juicy as something like Knives Out. But, um, yeah, the report, I mean, I, I described the last one. Do you, do you think you can describe the report? <laughs> I don't want to task you with something. I, I don't know if I could. I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, other than just political misery. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I have less fond feelings for this movie. Um, okay, so the report is a 2019 American drama film, and it was written and directed by Scott Z. Burns, and it is about the Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation of the CIA's use of torture following 9-11. We have Adam Driver as the primary investigator for the committee, and Annette, he's working for Annette Benning, who is playing Diane Feinstein. And I mean, there's a lot of names in this, uh, Ted Levine, Michael C. Hall, um, Maura, uh, Tierney, John Hamm. Oh, I mean, I enjoyed watching it, but it, it was, yeah. it was just so dark and so dreary and depressing just to see how openly the corruption was practiced the um, the horrors of what was going on, um, in the, what they call, what do they call them? Enhanced inher- interrogation techniques. Enhanced interrogation techniques, yeah. Um, to, to just watch the inhumanity with which people were treated, it's it's horrible to watch and to think about, and then no one was accountable. These were war crimes, clearly, and it was, and it seemed like everything was along political party lines as to how we would vote and how we would try to hold things accountable. Um, so it's not like it was, a, you know, it was a well done movie, but what was it to leave me feeling uh, depressed and despairing that now things are even worse in Washington than they were then, even more corrupt now than then, and they were bad enough then? Um, I, I, I can't say that I enjoyed this movie. Yeah, it's I I enjoy the format, and I don't even know why of a movie like this. I feel like when I was in my twenties, I would like, I would have considered a Sunday afternoon dad movie to be like the born ultimatum or something like that. And then now that I'm in my forties, it's something like this where they take all the action out and right. just give me people, give me revelations and documents and, and, re, you know, and political machinations. But yeah, the, the subject matter and the ramifications of this are so miserably frustrating and upsetting and ju- what I found really, uh, besides the just the straight up subject matter of the interrogation and the torture, and the the, the fact that um, these things happened, and I fear that things like this continue to happen, there was also the politics of it were upsetting, because you see that under the auspices of a, an allegedly nominally progressive administration with Obama. They still, because of politics, because he doesn't want to be seen as attacking Bush and Cheney, they don't uh, they don't want to get involved and they don't want to push for the release of this report. And that's just so disheartening because it just points to the it, to me, it, it resonated with the current, uh, you know, the talk about civility and you got to lead from the center and you got to 
uh, not make any waves and don't sink to their level. And it's just so depressing that um, there's very few people who seem to want to fight for what's good and what's right. And I know that's not always like at that clear and black and white, but I feel like this is a situation where it is. And so, um, so I, I, I enjoyed this movie because this type of movie is my jam. And I thought it was well done, but yeah, it's, it's not going to be, um, it's not a triumphant at the end of it. You're not like raising your fist. Like, yes, the report was published and everything is different now. Well, even if it had been, I, I felt like what was this film apart from a dramatized news magazine, it seemed almost like an investigative yeah. report itself well, and it was, of the making of this It was report. produced by Vice, too. Yeah, uh, yeah like, to me, it was the same thing as you might watch on Dateline five years from now or something, except not um, reenacted. Yeah. All the people who are the actors here would instead be the talking heads talking about what they did. Right. It's probably ready to move on from this one, but the one other thing I wanted to mention is the two... Uh, contractors that they bring in uh, to me that was just also a little taste of like the way Washington like the way everything seems to be now mm-hmm. where they bring in the two most awful people in the country right. so they bring in these two guys who call themselves psychologists and they basically are just guys who who invent clever new torture methods and they're the guys who bring waterboarding uh, into the uh, you know into the, the, the CIA practices and just these two, they, they're portrayed as just kind of good old boys who uh, got their chance at the big time. Uh, that thanks to 9-11 and fear, these two awful dudes get to come and run the show in the CIA. And there's, you know, there's career career intelligence people that are looking around like, who are these guys? And I feel like that's just every person who works in the Trump administration. You know, these guys are to interrogation what Betsy DeVos is to education. They're just like... Uh, and to me, that was even more depressing. Yeah, and what did it say? They took home like eighty million. Yeah, yeah. To to do these crimes. Yeah, yeah. And never any kind of no. repercussions. No. Yeah, I, I feel like we have competing political entities that just aren't playing by the same rules, aren't trying to move in the same direction. I mean, you can just imagine if it if things had been reversed. That's something that makes me a little infuriated at Obama as he thought that it would be okay in the center like that the same way he didn't want to deal with the Russian meddling or seem like he's trying to help Hillary Clinton or something. You know, the same way he doesn't want to be critical of Bush or Cheney. And I can see how um, that is admirable. And at the same time, everyone's going to be critical of you in every sort of a way. So you have to give back that same push and pull a little bit. Um, cause imagine if this were reversed, we're always saying, imagine if it were reversed, but would this report have, would, would, uh, the right have insisted this report come out? Of course they would have, of right. course they would have. And I don't think they would have been wrong to. <laughs> yeah. And the movie does end, it attempts to end on a kind of a, uh, bipartisan note with some footage of John McCain, right. um, praising the report and talking about the shame of, of the torture program. But even that makes you think, Oh God, like. I've seen some people praising the movie for that, and I don't, I don't know. No, I wouldn't give it praise for it that. For I mean, if any, yeah. of course, he is a well-known figure who they can right. use, you know, and maybe Meghan McCain will like it on the View. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so that that's that's what that is. If you think you can stomach it or it sounds interesting to you, and there it is. It is an excellently made movie, uh, but it is it is difficult uh, and possibly. 
without a clear point. Uh, Knives Out, Dan. Knives Out. It's an American murder mystery film. Yes. Yeah, I won't go into all that, but what a lot of fun Knives Out is. It's a whodunit yeah. in the tradition of of Clue, though it has a little bit more serious things on its mind, a little bit of social commentary for our times going on. I wonder how Knives Out will age, what we'll think of it in 15 or 20 years, because it will be very much of this time. But how yes. fun was it to watch these actors, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette, Don Johnson, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Christopher Plummer, and of course, uh, Ana de Armas in uh, pretty much the lead role. She was the only one who I didn't know, but now I know her. Yes. And it was just a lot of fun. I felt like they showed some cards early on to make you feel like you were in on what the story is. And then they expanded on that later, um, adding some extra things that you didn't know. I liked the plot of the whodunit. I liked the look of it. I liked all the actors and their characters. It was a really complex screenplay. Um, and I feel like it explained itself pretty well. We understood very quickly what the relationships were and what was going on. So basically, Christopher Plummer plays the patriarch of this very wealthy family who has died. It seems apparently he died by suicide. But then Daniel Craig and some other investigators show up believing that uh, there was foul play. So they're interviewing the family members who were present on the night of his death, including his uh, nurse, Ana de Armas, who's his home health care worker. Um, and uh, yeah, is there is there more to say about the plot? Uh, no, not so much without giving, you know, needlessly giving things away. I agree with you. I like the way, first of all, when it comes to whodunits, I really like character stuff and I don't love plot stuff as much. Mm-hmm. And this movie does get a little into the plot, but not before it has really solidly introduced characters everybody has a perspective and a voice uh you know you understand very quickly how each one of the family members could have a a reason to have taken out the the father so it's got that kind of delicious uh thing where everybody's got a motive and everybody's a kind of a shitty person but then as you say it kind of pulls the rug out on that very early and gives you information where you're like oh it does then proceed to give you more color and dimension on what you think you know but it doesn't do that annoying thing that movies do where it shows you something that's a lie right what it shows you is real but there's also other things so yeah i really enjoyed watching it unfold what a fun time really fun to see frank oz as the lawyer that's just Mm, a thing for personally for me so much fun and uh i don't know i think i told you via messenger that i think i like the exposition in this movie more than the resolution but the whole thing is a fun journey and a really, really fun time. And in a weird way, different from The Irishman, it is just a treat to watch the craft and the performances uh, of this movie. Yeah, I agree. I really liked how um, Christopher Plummer was really shown to be mostly in the right. Sometimes the person who ends up dead was is a really terrible person. And that's why everybody has motivation for going after them in this case it's actually because he is good and they're all terrible (laughs) that and it shows some moments of genuine warmth between he and uh what what was anna deramars's character's name uh marta oh boy yeah marta some some genuine warmth between them i liked them together i thought it was a little far-fetched when they did the second turnabout 
um, that kind of went back and you found out about uh, Chris Evans hijinks. I, I thought that was a little unbelievable Yeah, that he would have had the wherewithal to think that up and to carry it out. But right. Yeah. Who cares? Cause so oftentimes these plots are about constant misdirections and constant, like you think this person's good and then they're bad and you think this is true, but then it's not true. And this movie really sets up characters that stay true to the character that's given them. Uh, it's just that they get into these desperate situations. So Marta, has the most complicated, you know, uh, journey of any character, even when, you know, things that, you know, uh, the way the characters come at her being true to themselves as, as shitty characters. I don't know. I enjoy it all. And I enjoy the fact that, that in the end, Daniel Craig kind of knows what's going on on almost a spiritual level. Uh, it's silly and I don't know that it completely makes sense, but it's very enjoyable. Yeah. I, I, I really loved this. I I was impressed with how the film was able to keep more or less an omniscient point of view. It really wasn't hiding very much. You In any scene, you pretty much know as much as most of the people in the room know about what's going on. Um, for Pretty yeah. early on, they show quick little flashbacks that you understand what happened. And uh, yeah, it, it, keep, it kept me very engaged, really colorful, a lot of fun. Uh, Ryan Johnson's an interesting filmmaker. I haven't loved every movie of his, but I think he always takes big swings and he always, silly thing to say, but it seems like he works really hard on his scripts. Mm -hmm. Sometimes too hard. I think he sometimes has convoluted scripts, but I'd rather that than phoning it in. Like he, he's somebody who always brings something interesting and new to anything that he does. To me, the screenplay was crystal clear and I tend to be real slow with understanding story and I was able to follow this really easily. This uh, little, not not the same at all, but some sort of like uh, spiritual similarities with Ready or Not, which I also right. enjoyed too. Totally. Very interesting and very old fashioned kind of movies, but that do new things within a kind of framework of a classic whodunit or parlor mystery kind of a movie. Yeah, I agree. Wow, Dan, this is like after uh, this year has just been so interesting. So much, so many movies. And finally, a lot, a lot of good ones. Yeah, I think that this is one of the best film years in a while. It's taken a while for stuff to finally trickle out the most anticipated stuff, and it's coming out now. There are multiple movies that I really like this year that I'll have a hard time coming up with a top five or top ten. And that really hasn't been the case for me for the last couple of years, where I've really, Mm -hmm. really liked more than one movie. Uh, thanks for listening everybody this is our podcast where Dan and Josh follow us on Twitter or Letterboxd Um, the music is by Jonah Rapino and we will see you next time talk about more movies thanks bye hey how was your Thanksgiving beat me to it It's delightful. It's quiet and fine. How was yours? Um, it was delightful, quiet, fine.